The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson. Here is my co-host, Don Chisholm. Are my class three taxes man plus two? And tonight we are joined by Lee Gold, folk songwriter, role player, game author, and longtime editor of the APA Alarms and Excursions. Welcome Perfect. to the show, Lee. Thank you. So to start off, Lee, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, my background's complex. I've got an MA in English lit hidden in a closet somewhere. Mm-hmm. I've, well, I do. It's actually in a closet a couple of feet away from me. I've got a um, background in science fiction fandom, which is still continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've participated over the years in a number of amateur press associations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alarms and excursions started when the uh, Amateur Press Association APA-L, which mm-hmm. is collated at Lasvis every week, uh, started getting, a number of us started getting interested in Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And as more and more of us started talking about Dungeons and Dragons, those of us in APA-L who were not interested in Dungeons & Dragons, started saying, why don't you people start talking about this somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Because they said, you're talking about this other thing, which is not general science fiction fandom. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I will nobly start a APA, which is just about Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing interests. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, let's see. We could call it something, I could use a Shakespearean phrase. Mm -hmm. I could call it alarms and excursions, which is a phrase that Shakespeare used for people running on stage, banging drums and things, and then running off stage. Mm -hmm. And uh, a long, long time ago, uh, one great science fiction fan had mentioned that if you were going to start a fanzine, you should always start it with uh, a phrase that started with an A, because that way, if people were going to review fanzines, they would probably do it in alphabetical order. Hmm. Very smart. Yes. Yeah. So I chose a phrase that started with an A. Makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. So... Uh, I, when was this? What year was this that you started? Oh, 1975. Right, okay. Uh, in July. Mm-hmm. And shortly thereafter, my husband, Barry, we've been married in uh, 16, August of 69, got a opportunity we could not resist. We, His company said, 
why don't we send you off to Japan for four months? Mm-hmm. And we felt we could not turn that down. Of course. So, I mean, really, he was sent off to work with the Japanese equivalent of NASA mm-hmm. with at his regular salary plus a $40 a day per diem. Uh, to be put up in a suite, he and I, at the New Otani Hotel. Right. With a subway pass and a free uh, uh, thing that the company paid for where they would pay for our dry cleaning. <laughs> I mean, it was mm. astonishing. And we I found someone else who would run the APA while we were away. Right. And then we would come back after four months and see if the app still existed. It did, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. nice. Yes. And so <laughs> off we went to Japan after only bringing out two months. And uh, came and I took my typewriter with us and typed stencils for both APA-L and alarms and excursions while we were away. Mm-hmm. And came back and found that in four months only three issues of A and E had come out. Right. And I said, oh dear, and got out my uh, ringmaster's whip and told everybody, it's coming out again. Everything is going to start happening again. Don't mm-hmm. think that just because one issue didn't come out, it's over. And uh, after that, it didn't. The only time it missed uh, issues was for either pre-announced issues, uh, mm-hmm. like I said in 2006. Hey guys, I'm having a hysterectomy. We're going to miss an issue. Oh, okay. That's a good excuse. I thought so. And <laughs> just, just one issue. That's still. Uh, that's pretty dedicated. <laughs> well, I. I thought I, if I announced it in advance, people might give me the right to skip one issue. Mm-hmm. They, it turned out they were very magnanimous. <laughs> and uh, yes. last year, I said, there's a world con. Uh, the time that all science fiction fans like mm-hmm. to try to get together in our backyard up in San, up in San Jose. And we'd like to go. And it was right on the weekend of our deadline. And I said, we're Mm. going to attempt. But mostly it always comes out. Deadline is the 21st of the month at 5 p.m. Los Angeles time. And I have everybody ritually trained that that's what deadline is and that's when it happens. Mm. And so uh, unlike Dragon... We mm-hmm. keep our deadlines. We don't. <laughs> well, you know, seriously, it's because I print on my own printer in my own house. I don't have to worry about outside printers. Mm, wow. I'd like the dragon, which has to deal with outside uh, uh, businesses. Right. And right. That, that does make a difference. Uh, and then once it's printed, you, you mail it out to all the members? Well, there's... I mail it out to all the members and subscribers. Right. Mm-hmm. I collate it myself. I uh, bury staples it, and it goes into envelopes. And deadline is on the 21st. Mm-hmm. It gets mailed 
probably on the next postage day. Hmm. Wow, that's that's dedicated. How many uh, contributors and subscribers do you have now? Uh, not as many as we used to. About half of them go out by uh, email instead of by snail mail these days. Ah, okay. okay. Uh, so we've got about 20 snail mail and maybe 30 or 40 email. There used to be a lot more before different worlds. Mm. Back before different worlds, I was getting a lot of copies that were being sold in shops. Mm -hmm. And I was printing 400 or more copies on paper. Wow. And they were wow. sold in shops, some of them in England, some in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I there were occasion I would get occasional letters from shops saying, why don't you send us 20 or 30 copies and we'll pay you for them in two or three months? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Uh -huh. And I would say I don't do business on maybes. Yeah, exactly. And I got the strangest letters from shops in Australia. Mm -hmm. Australian shops have this theory that if you agree to sell to us, you will promise not to do business with anyone else in the country. Mm -hmm. Okay. And not even subscribers. Weird. And yeah. You will give that shop a monopoly, not just in that particular state of Australia, but for everywhere in the entire country. Huh. Okay. And I would say no. And yes. they would say, but that's how <laughs> things are done in Australia. And I would say not for me. Right. Yeah. I've I've never heard of that anywhere well, else. I haven't either, but that's how things are now being done. And mm -hmm. if you talk to any friends you have in Australia, like by email, you will find that Australians are now being cut off by Amazon. Huh. That uh Amazon will no longer sell to Australians. Wow. That's so uh, weird. It's, yes. Uh, and Australia.Amazon.au will mm -hmm. no longer ship to Australia. It's scary. Huh. And uh, uh, postage to Australia is very high. Mm, yes. And Australians are really being cut off by, by for buying things. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And I don't understand how this works. Basically, if you have a friend who in Australia who happens to travel to the U.S. Mm -hmm. or Canada, they will buy a lot of stuff and try to import it safely and legally. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really dicey. Wow. Uh, it didn't used to be like this. This is a new set of terms that are just happening in this last year or two that mm -hmm. I'm hearing about by email from friends. Mm. And I don't understand it. And I may not have the terms absolutely correctly, but this is what I'm hearing by email from two or three friends in Australia. Right. Um, well, if we have any Australian listeners, if you want to write in, uh, go to obeythedna.com and leave a comment about this. We'd love to hear about this, if this is correct. And if Please. this is, if the situation is so bad in Australia at this point, wow, that's crazy. 
On the other hand, Australian, the Australian version of Project Gutenberg and the Canadian version of Project Gutenberg have totally different rules than the Ameri than the US version of Project Gutenberg. Right. And I find myself bookmarking all the different versions of Project Gutenberg. <laughs> yes, because everyone has different copyright per periods and therefore yeah. different materials. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, that's one of the wonderful things about different copyright laws. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have to follow the American ones. I'm I'm sorry, but America is the one that's gotten us into this copyright mess. So. Uh, well, the the uh, the British version is different and in some cases stronger and in some cases weaker than mm -hmm. the American one. I just heard from a British filker saying that Robert Frost was still under copyright in some instances for some poems where he wasn't in America. That's crazy. <laughs> did I yeah. say anything was sane? <laughs> no, <laughs> no ma'am, you did not. Okay, <laughs> wow. Good. That's fantastic. Oh. So anyway, so back to anyway, uh, getting getting back getting back to A and E. Yeah, getting so, back to yes. Yeah. Okay. So while I before I had left, mm -hmm. I had started uh putting out alarms and excursions. Right. When I came back, I started writing about how uh various games applied to Japan. Mm -hmm. And about some of these strange things, because while we were in Japan, I had picked up a great deal of stuff, not just in the Japanese language, mm -hmm. which we'd been there for four months. I'd had to learn to speak and read a right. certain amount of Japanese mm -hmm. in order to run around there and make myself understood right. by walking around by myself. But I'd also picked up a great deal of stuff on Japanese folklore. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I was also following chivalry and sorcery a great deal. Mm -hmm. And the people who had written some chivalry and sorcery while also taking some of the rules that they incorporated in chivalry and sorcery from some other sources got interested in what I was writing and subscribed to A&E and started contributing to it. And so did Steve Perrin. Mm -hmm. as a science fiction fan, was very interested in this stuff and was contributing to A&E. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Now, your original contributors, sorry to interrupt for a sec, but your original contributors to A&E, were they all basically just local people? Like they were no. a member in the area? You mm -hmm. have to understand that contributors to APA-L were not local to Los Angeles. Okay. APA-L contributors included not just Angelinos, but also people like Dick Eney, of Washington, of Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, Mark Swanson and Glenn Blakow of Boston, mm -hmm. uh, Paul Lieberman of Boston or New York. I'm sorry, I don't remember where she was at that time. And right. a number of other people. APA L contained fans from New York and Boston and DC and science fiction fandom at that point kept intensively in touch with one another by mm -hmm. fan scene and by convention. We had mm -hmm. local, we had regional conventions such as Westercon, 
which mm -hmm. moved up and down the Pacific coast. And of course, we had Worldcon, which moved across uh, Pacific coast, Midwest, mm -hmm. East coast, and ideally, occasionally, somewhere international. Right. And so we stayed in touch uh, by convention and fancy. Mm. And so there were people in APL across the world. Mm. Wow. Now, and, just, just in case any of our listeners are not familiar with uh, APAs, could you explain what APAs are? Oh, uh, okay. You are to imagine me throwing my hands wildly about in the air and gesticulating as I do this. Okay, sure. No problem. <laughs> okay. Just don't hit the desk, please, or table. <laughs> I, I will try not to. I, you're currently mounted on a tray table. Okay. Uh, the standard APA mm -hmm. has an official collator or mailer who gets people to either print their own fanzines or send them to him or her, and he or she prints them, mm -hmm. and or gets someone else to print them, and mm -hmm. might have 20 to 50 to 100 copies. And this fanzine might be one page or 50 pages. Right. And... Uh, it will come out once a week or four times a year. And this mailer will then bundle all these fanzines together in a 9 by 12 envelope or something humongous and mail copies to all the contributors. Mm. I didn't want anything that minor. Right. I want something that would also have subscribers. Right. And where the subscribers would support the contributors. Makes sense. Well, it was something that had never been tried before. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I wanted to have something where there would be lots of subscribers and the contributors wouldn't have to pay anything for postage because the subscribers would join in and pay the postage for the contributors. And this was a whole new oh. thing that was, had never, never, never been done before. <laughs> it was my entirely new and brilliant, I hoped, idea. <laughs> right. Where you would get all these people and people would say, oh, I never thought of this, but I could start contributing. And therefore they would start, they would buy a few copies a few issues mm -hmm. and then start contributing and then more and it would snowball right. and it would become addictive to contribute to. Mm -hmm. And that was one reason that shops would stop carrying it because they would get a few copies and mm -hmm. start selling it. And then the people who bought it would stop buying it because they would start subscribing. <laughs> but right. Other people would start buying it. Mm -hmm. And so it was this strange new magazine. Imagine buying the um, Scientific American and then sending articles in and becoming a contributor. Mm -hmm. It's It was an alien type of magazine. Right. That no one had ever tried doing before. But... 
it uh, people liked it and it started growing and the first thing that happened was we started out with like 30 or 40 pages mm -hmm. and then suddenly we were 100 pages and then we were 150 pages mm -hmm. and then I said I'm not doing more than 150 pages an issue because that's where we start running into being too expensive to mail. Right. And too difficult to staple. Right. Right. And therefore, I said, we started running into, well, let's see. We have this many extra people who are going to be in next issue. And mm -hmm. then I would say we have this many people who are backlogged into the issue after next issue. Right. And so it would get longer and longer. But nobody really objected because it was such fun. Mm -hmm. Right. And we had this suddenly wonderful snowballing effect, which I had dreamed of when I started it, but I didn't think it was actually going to happen, but it did. Mm. And it was it was great and wonderful fun for some wonderful times. And then after a few years, somewhere around the time Different World got started, mm -hmm. um, it which was at the point that it wasn't just D&D &D anymore. Now, right. if you look up you can probably find on the web mm -hmm. the dragon editorials that Mr. Gygax wrote. Right. And I think the Dragon 16 and 26, but it's been a long time, where Mr. Gygax started denouncing the Appas as oh. unfair. Yeah. And I Air. was fascinated. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, he felt there were times that Mr. Gygax felt Look for jackals battening on a lion's kill. Right. Mm. Which was, um, I believe, partly the denunciation of alien games. You know, yeah. other, other gaming companies had no right to publish uh, role-playing games. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a fascinating part of early of early Gary Gygax. <laughs> I had um, no idea. Oh, yeah. well, I have been told. I never mm -hmm. do. Um, okay, I now get to tell my, my only voice-to-voice uh, -voice encounter with Mr. Gygax. Oh, please do. Mm. Okay, this is, this is strange. Mm -hmm. He called, okay, he wrote me a letter. Mm -hmm. And I published it because that's what I did. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. Right. He wrote me a letter. He he wrote me a letter, and I published it. But before that, he phoned me, and I picked up the phone, and a voice said, "Can I talk to Lee Gold?" And I said, "This is Lee Gold." Now, mm -hmm. this was my parents' fault. My I my parents named me before I was born, which mm -hmm. in 1942 was much less common than it is these days. Because in 1942, they did not have a way of telling uh, when, you, when a woman it was going to be a pregnant. boy or a girl. Yes. Yeah. There was no mm -hmm. way to know. Um, but 
my mother got pregnant and my parents, it was, there was a war on in 42. Mm-hmm. My parents decided to buy a, a war bond. Mm-hmm. And so they picked a name that would go either way. Ah, smart oh. thinking. Oh, yeah. And um, my father's mother had been Leonora. And um, so they named me Lee. Mm-hmm. And so Guy X called up and he asked to speak to Lee Gold. Right. I said, I'm Lee Gold. And he said, you're a woman. <laughs> and I said, yeah. And he said, this is Gary Gygax. And I said, oh, Mr. Gygax, how nice to hear from you. We all love your game. It's wonderful. It's been such fun playing it. Thank you so much for writing it and publishing it. And he said, you're a woman. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yeah. And I I gather you got the um, magazine I mailed you. And he said, you're a woman. And um, I said, yeah. And I said, I hope you like the copy of Alarms and Excursions I sent you. And he said, you're a woman. I, wow. I, wrote, I wrote some bad things about women war players once. And I said, that's all right. I haven't read them. You don't have to feel embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you're a woman. And we didn't seem to be getting anywhere, you know. So I said, right. well, uh, I, I don't think we're getting anywhere. It's been nice to have talked to you. And I've got other things to do. Bye. And I hung up on him. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, it was well, the only conversation I ever had with him. Anyway, he sent me a letter and I published it in A&E. And... Um, did his letter actually apologize for not being no. a very good conversationalist? No, it didn't address the, the conversation. <laughs> um, the Now, the way APAs work is mm. that a zine, which is short for fancy, right. a zine starts out with a title mm-hmm. and your name, and it may have a paragraph or two about what you've been doing lately, Mm-hmm. And then it'll have, usually, it'll have comments. Mm-hmm. And the comments start with the name of the person you're commenting to. Right. It's not like a column in a magazine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't st- have comments. It, it doesn't, uh, the paragraphs aren't about the topic it there the paragraphs are addressed to who you're talking to mm-hmm. and poor mr gygax didn't understand this and so he thought that the bold face thing at the top at, at the top of each paragraph was written by the name of the person and so he got confused Ah, okay. And the letter reproached the person that he thought it it was by instead of reproaching the uh, person that the zine was actually by. So he got very Mm -hmm. confused. 
Right. Okay. No. Which means that that the letter I wrote got all, was all confuzzled, which mm. is a shame. Uh, and so, if the people who read his zines have to kind of debug them, mm. which which is a shame. And this mm. was not his fault. He just wasn't used to apples. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them, like uh, the early A and E's, I've noticed. It, they read like the minutes of a meeting that there's this constant back and forth. And I know that's, um, yeah. Uh, and, oh, sorry, and, go ahead. All comments. Yeah. Mm. Cause that's, it's, um, as, as I recall, cause I'm kind of an on again, off again, member of an APA too. Mm. And what, what it kind of is, is it's sort of like, um, what we call nowadays, like a virtual meeting place. It's a chance sure. for all of these folks to compare ideas Sure. And that's that's why they tend to read if if you're not used to the format, it tends to read a little weird because it looks like little teeny teeny tiny articles directed at one specific person. Uh, okay. I I like to think of it as being like going into a cocktail party. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I tell people that comments are the lifeblood of an APA, and you really need to get two or three issues mm. and follow the comment chains. To know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, because that's um, another... That reminds me of um, the earliest days of uh, tabletop gaming. Uh, a lot of the magazines, even the the professional ones, like, say, your White Dwarf or your Dragon, mm -hmm. they, still, they still worked a lot like that, that it really felt that you weren't reading, like, a magazine. It was kind of like a newsletter... For, for a closed community because there would be constant references to other things that everybody would take as a matter of fact that if you weren't, if you hadn't been part of the hobby for a bit, you wouldn't know who this person was that everybody's referencing or they'd reference articles from, sure. from other magazines. Yeah, and if you hadn't seen that magazine, like I got into it in the late 70s and we didn't, we kind of got sporadic like mm. supplements and, and books. So I'd see references to all these different things that everybody's been talking about for a long time, but because I wasn't there and didn't have access to it, it tends to be a little bit baffling for a while. And that's why it was so nice when the Dragon, for a while at least, was selling the complete run on a DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that was that was a, a big help. Because I remember reading Dragon around issue. 40, I think is when I started. Mm -hmm. There were constant references to an article from um, it was like issue 20, somewhere in like the <laughs> 20s. Yeah. It was it was the article about female characters. Oh God. And yes. that, and that was, that was by Sam Conkin, and he later and he also published that in A and E. Yeah. Cause it, it was one of those things that I got into this, and there was this heated debate going on in a number of magazines. And I had no way to access this original article until like the late '90s when I got that CD set, and mm -hmm. there was a there was a lot of that kind of, for better or worse, community feel to the uh, sure. to the early days. And if you can find, if you still have that CD, I had an article in Dragon One mm -hmm. called "Can You Speak Old Wormish?" Oh, oh wow! Yeah, that was by me. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. That's okay. amazing. 
And I walked up and found that one early on. And I said, so are you people giving away free copies <laughs> of the magazines that people have uh, articles in, which used to be considered good manners? Right. Yes. And they said, oh, uh, I guess so. And I said, thank you. That's my name in there. And they said, oh, I guess you're entitled to a copy. I said, thank you and took it. <laughs> well, they had forgotten that little detail. Yeah. Well, you know. So um, where, did, where did this conversation take place? Or is this... Uh, at, is this... At, uh, I, I never went to a uh, uh, Dragon Con, but this was at, a, at an Origins. Oh, or okay. I, either an Origins or an Origins... Origins West, I forget which. Right. Well, Lee, let's take a step back for a second then. Sure. So how did you first get exposed to uh, role-playing games? Ah, okay. We have friends. Mm -hmm. We've been lucky. We have friends. Right. Uh, Owen and Hilda Hannafin, who were old-time members of Lasphus, that my husband had uh, I guess I should start with, so Lee, how did you get into Lospice? Yeah, okay, <laughs> let's, let, okay, let's explain what Lospice is just before, for our audience that don't know what the acronyms mean. Ah, Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society. There we go. Back in 74, mm -hmm. I was standing at the UCLA bookstore in front of the science fiction section. Mm -hmm. And so were three guys. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about the books. What about that one? Do you like this one? Have you gotten that one yet? Four hours later, an employee came up and said, we're about to close the uh, student store. Mm -hmm. You have to leave. We do? Yes. When we close the store, people have to leave. You can't stay here all night until we open it again in the morning. <laughs> oh, so they threw us out and we said, well, that was fun. You know, we should try to do it again on purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not in the store. I said, well, I have an apartment. I'm actually in 74. I was all of uh pardon me not 74 64 in 64 oh. i was all of 22 years old and i was a, mm -hmm. a teaching assistant oh. uh, and uh in the english department and so i i said i have an, a, an apartment and a job and they said well we're all freshmen mm -hmm. i said well um you know you could we could we could we could form a science fiction club and we could have meetings once a month and talk about science fiction. Mm -hmm. And they said that sounds good. So uh, we put up a sign on a bulletin board saying, "Want to talk about science fiction?" And we got a name. We mm -hmm. were the third foundation, hmm. which okay. you know would follow after the second. Right. And. Uh, people came to us and told us all about the local science fiction club and how they mm -hmm. met every week on Thursday night right. and charged dues. We don't mm -hmm. charge dues. Right. And they didn't talk about science fiction. They talked about fandom. Mm -hmm. We talk about science fiction. 
Mm-hmm. And um, and we decided we like our club better. Right. <laughs> Some of us went over and started attending this Las mm-hmm. Los Angeles Science Fantasy Society. Yes. We liked ours better. So mm-hmm. after a while, we went off and attended um, WesterCon, which mm-hmm. was held in... Uh, 68 mm-hmm. on the July 4th weekend. We had little badges which said the third foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and another guy uh, took little hairnets and I put gold pipe cleaners in attached to them so mm-hmm. we would look like slams. Right. And a woman led us up to A. Van Vogt. Oh, wow. And introduced us. And he said, ah, very well done. <laughs> and I found a that hotel had a telephone booth with a glass door that would pull out mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. the telephone. And I put a sign in it that said, just deposit 25 cents and close the glass door on the ethical suicide booth. And <laughs> You will be uh, uh, terminated. Mm-hmm. And the uh, someone kept removing the do- the uh, the note there <laughs> on reason, and I I can't think why. Oh, and, and we created this fan scene, you know. We created this forty-page fan scene called the Third Foundation, issue seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. With uh, a the first uh, installment of a new um, novel, which mm-hmm. I had written called "Doomed Lensman." Oh, oh! You can find on the on the web the entire novel. Oh, um, I'll link to it in the show notes. Which you search mm-hmm. if you search for "Doomed Lensman" by Sibley White, mm-hmm. in which uh, all the lensmen are killed. Chapter by chapter. Okay. Uh, you had something against Lensman, did you? <laughs> no, I loved the Lensman. I just felt the, lo- the next logical thing was causing uh, what was creating a great sequel. It mm-hmm. uh, people people uh, were fascinated by this, especially I think when I brought on Mark Duquesne. Um, uh, and he picked up a lens, a lens on Arisha. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, I can't describe it. You'll have to read it in order to see what it's like. But now, Duquesne, Mark Duquesne, was that the guy from Skylark of Space? Yes, yes, yes. Oh. And he created a new Skylark built around a giant pulsating lens. Oh, I see. Okay, that would work. Yeah. It's it's an absolutely insane book. I loved writing it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, uh, Steve Golden was a member of this group mm-hmm. who went on to write uh, some other, some other uh, uh, sequels to E.E. E. Smith uh, things mm-hmm. as well. Anyway, so uh, we made our entry as the Third Foundation uh to Lasphus in uh, August of 67, which is when I first met Barry, 
and two years later I married him. Uh, I We went in, the, the first issue had some folk songs, including Oh, What a Beautiful Martian, and my first memory of Barry is his singing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, is that how we win your heart, by singing your songs? Not that I noticed. Okay. <laughs> but he did have a nice voice. Okay. Anyway, so we first... One of the some of the people there included the Hannafins, mm-hmm. and the Hannafins later moved to San Francisco, and then they came down again because Hilda thought that her father might be dying. Only he wasn't, so she said, "As long as we're down in L.A., we just found a new thing called Dungeons and Dragons." And as long as my father isn't dying, we want to tell you about Dungeons and Dragons, and we're going to run a game for you. Hmm. So she had had a dungeon, and she ran Dungeons and Dragons for us. And they said, we will give you photocopies of the rules if we see you write a check to TSR for a copy of the rules. Sounds fair. And Hmm. mail it to them. And... We wrote a check and put it in an envelope and mailed it to TSR. And after they saw us put it in the mailbox, they gave us a photocopy of the rules. And I then made up a dungeon called Neocarn, and wow. uh, which had three whole levels. And I started running games. And my set of the rules, this was in 70. Five, I think, mm-hmm. or, se- or late 74, my set of the rules arrived uh, a few weeks later. Right, and this would be first edition Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, this is the wood grain box. Right. Which, uh, as I wrote you the other day, mm-hmm. had 4,000 copies printed before they started printing the white box. Mm-hmm. Wow. And... Um, mm-hmm. So that was how we got into playing D&D. Now, this was not the first role-playing game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Years before that, a year or two before that, we had been playing Dynasty, which uh, was this big red cylinder box Mm -hmm. set in China where there were eight white leap pamphlets that mm-hmm. all look exactly the same. The emperor, the official, the warlord, the uh, gentry landholder, four peasants, and they there they all were, each with their own psychology. Huh. And each hmm. of them said, as long as I play the game, I will, my actions will conform to this person's personality. Right. Which is the essence of role-playing, right? Yes. Yeah. And you can find it. My, my write-up of, of, of role-playing in FL mentions this game, and it's the first role-playing game I'm familiar with. There may huh. be others, but it's the first one I know that was sold. Mm-hmm. Right. That's fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. I know. 
it's on the web. I, uh, it's weird. Mm. And like all role playing games, I know the rules needed tinkering. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and all the role players I know, when we looked at Gary Gygax's game with its percent and liar and all its typos, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. everybody I know said this stuff needs tinkering. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken St. Andre looked at it and wrote uh, Tunnels and Trolls, mm-hmm. and the people in Michigan wrote their thing, and the people in Caltech wrote their thing, and every and uh, Steve Perrin wrote his thing. Everybody tinkered D&D. Mm. Because it needed tinkering to be playable. Right. And right. and Gygax looked at uh, <clears throat> the original thing, which wasn't really his you know, it was Blackmore, and he mm-hmm. had to take for it to make it playable. Right. Uh, and the nice part about D&D was it obviously needed player help. Mm. Mm. Well, obviously to all the players I knew. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, why do you say that was the nice thing about it? Well, that it wasn't like Monopoly or Purchasey or, or something that you just played it the way it came out of the box mm-hmm. that everybody obviously knew mm-hmm. that we were all going to be in this together. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was a cooperative spirit to the game right from the beginning. Both well, certainly I've, I've been in some games mm-hmm where it was the GM versus the players, and I didn't find that agreeable. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever played in a game like that. Yep, but I, I've I, been in games like that, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some GMs take a more adversarial approach. Yeah, and I would say, well, thank you, here's my character sheet, and walk off and mm. find someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that's um when you talk about the very earliest days of D anD D, you're right that uh, it needed tinkering because you all you pretty much couldn't learn the game just by buying a book. You needed either to yeah sit down with the group and kind of hash it out, or somebody who'd been experienced teaching you. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of one of the the things I think a lot of modern gamers miss. Getting with what you were saying is that. The game would come out, and it wasn't until, I would say, probably, like, you get into the 80s, people were publishing role-playing games, that the game, it was essentially, in and of itself, complete. So you did have a lot of input, and you had this weird nebulous realm where a lot of things the participants would just assume, because they'd all come from the same kind of fantasy background, or science fantasy background, Mm. and... They would figure so D and D mentioned hobbits, what became halflings after a couple of lawsuit threats. And, and, yes, yeah, and there's there's no real description of of what a halfling does with their time, but everybody coming in had read Tolkien. It was just 
read into that they were assuming that well they obviously live in a in, in a shire and they do this and they like to eat and they're not necessarily adventurers and they're all little thieving guys with hairy feet and it's it's interesting to see to see because i i came in at kind of the edge of that mm-hmm. and and it was interesting to see how yeah everywhere you went even like a group groups playing in the same area the games were always very different because everybody is bringing so much of themselves and their own ideas into the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. Uh, my favorite for that was uh, Superhero 2044, which mm-hmm. I think was the first superhero role-playing game, which is basically just rules for statistics, and then it just has this section that says, yeah, and make up some superpowers. And that's it. It's it literally, and there's a combat system. But yeah, they just tell you make up your own superpowers. Yeah, just whatever the GM thinks is okay is fine. Yeah. And that's okay. All right, that's that's pretty do it yourself. But okay, sure, why not? Try to make it sort of balanced. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And they, it never really balancing speed mm-hmm. versus anything else was always dicey. We're still trying to get people to balance speed. Mm-hmm. How do you manage to have one person do a hundred actions in the same amount of time that the other people are doing one action? Right. Mm-hmm. That's true. So do you, do you play any superhero role-playing games, Lee? Not to my knowledge. Not to your knowledge. Okay. Uh, I am doing stuff in the Norse myths. Okay. Now, in the Norse myths, I sit down and explain to my sweet, darling, wonderful players, no, you are not going to get any input from Marvel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't care how many Marvel comics, movies, TV shows you've seen. I am working off of the myths, Wikipedia, and all the books I've got of of the myths and folklore. Mm-hmm. I am not working off of anything having to do with any of the stuff you've read that's modern day. Right. Trust me. Because mm-hmm. if you use any Thor that's got yellow hair instead of red... Mm-hmm. If you use anything that doesn't correspond to my imagination, you're wrong. And what's more, <laughs> my imagination is far weirder than anything you've got, because in my imagination, Odin and Loki are conspiring in ways mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly dream up. Okay. And they are pulling the wool off of over everybody's eyes because they want to prevent Ragnarok. Right. Hmm. And so everything you've read is a lie. Right. And just trust me. Mm -hmm. It's all false. And my players look at me and say, but, but, but. I say, trust me. (laughs) They're all lying. They've been all lying to you. Balder is the evil guy, and it's all lies. Right. And they've gotten almost used to this by now. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it's when I told them that Boulder was a myth invented by the Christians, mm-hmm. they said, but, and I said, trust me, it's all a lie. And um, 
this game has been going on with occasional drifts off to the 35th century asteroids and 15th and 12th century Japan and other strange things for about 25 years. Oh my. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, my players have almost gotten used to it by now. Mm. Oh, almost. Well, okay. That, almost. Well, they, they're having trouble keeping up with you, obviously. Well, yeah, I'm strange. Okay. So what system do you use for this? Well, I wrote this game called Lands of Adventure. Right. It's okay. strange, too. Um, and anytime I wrote another game, mm -hmm. like Vikings for Iron Crown, right. before I would ship it out, I would translate it all into Lands of Adventure to make sure that everything was still there. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, and Lands of Adventure basically is a cheap and fast system which is designed to make sure that there's a minimum of rolling and a maximum of role playing, mm -hmm. which is why we have a three hour game. Right. Which gives me about three pages of notes of action. Right. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, at, so this is the one that was published in 1983 by Fantasy Games Unlimited. Yeah. And the idea was to have lots of player uh, action, a certain amount of GM NPC action, right. and very, very little dice rolling. Right. Uh, one of the things I did, because I wanted some input, uh, I don't know, you guys were in Japan, you say, when I was in Japan, I picked up... I was, up, he wasn't there, but okay. anyway. I picked up the Toyo Kanji, which is 2,000 ideographs. Yes. And I rolled I roll a D2,000 <laughs> for what's going to happen next. Okay. Wow. Um, so, okay. So those are, that's the 2,000 most basic Kanji characters. Yeah. And then what do you do once you have one of the Toyo 2,000? I kind of trip on it about the same way I would if I was rolling the E Ching. And okay. I say, okay, that's what's going to happen next. Something connected with that huh. kanji that you just rolled up. Okay, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah. Huh. I mean, it, it gives me something weird to trip off of. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, that makes sense. That's, that's an interesting approach. Do you also use the E Ching? I did when I was running stuff in sometimes in Japan, but the I Ching mm -hmm. is takes longer to roll because mm -hmm. you're rolling six different things. Right. And then there's moving lines. Mm -hmm. And it takes longer than just rolling. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, a D20, a D10, and a D10 are a lot faster. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And I like to go fast. I can mm -hmm. see that. So you're definitely a rules light kind of person. You like to keep the rules light and the focus just on the, the imagination and the mm -hmm. uh, playing aspects. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I say, okay, let's get this game happening. And mm -hmm. if I could, uh, I would roll these things in advance, but I found that doesn't work as well. Mm -hmm. And so I 
try to just what I really try doing, mm-hmm. if I can, I know my NPCs and I think, so what's Loki going to plan on doing next? Mm-hmm. Oh, what's Scotty, uh, Thrym's daughter, mm-hmm. who's one of the people with, who's my one of my NPCs? What's the um, jester of the elf hill? What are his plans? What's the weather? Well, let's see. It's mm-hmm. January 5th. What's the weather going to do next? Oh, right. there could be a blizzard. That's perfectly reasonable. Right. And so how you said you've been doing this for 30 plus years. Yeah. Has has a uh, obviously your players group has changed except for maybe your husband or is he the only consistent player during that period? Oh. Well, we've got some people who've been around for 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, the kids. Yeah. No, 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 no. They're not kids. We don't have any children. Okay. Uh, we've got, let's see, Rita Prince Winston moved out here some 1984. Right. And she's been in the game since we lost some people. They they were, they died. Yeah. Mm. Um, John Redden. John Redden uh, moved out to Hawaii, but we still have him via uh, uh, Discord. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Schwall moved to Berkeley. We've still got him by Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua Cronengold and Lisa Paddle. We found them in Filking and A&E, and they're in New York City, but... They introduced us first. We were using Skype and then Hangout, and now Discord. Mm, okay. You know, we. Uh, I love modern technology. Mm. Nice stuff. Yeah, there's, there's um, a lot to like. Yeah, I had to start explaining. At first, I just said Discord brought us together, and some people thought I was making bad puns. Right. But now I say Discord, Paran. That's V-O-I-P. Yeah. Post-Paran, because yeah. not, even, even people who understand things don't fully understand that old-fashioned people in their 70s are, can be using voice-over internet protocol. Mm-hmm. And I admit, I'm not doing it. That's my husband. My husband was working on ARPANET when I first met him. Wow. Uh, he was working. Uh, Rand Engineering spun off it, one of its branches to become System Development Corporation, and Barry was employed there mm-hmm. out in Santa Monica. Great. And Barry worked at SDC and then at some other interesting places like NCR. Mm-hmm. And Northrop and and other oh, wow. things, and eventually he retired, and now mm. he just kind of works for me. Okay, well, <laughs> the, the the toughest boss he has. Yeah. Um, so to go back, to, sorry to interrupt, but to go back. Let's go back oh. to alarms and excursions just to finish yeah. it on up. So you've obviously had many uh, contributors to alarms and excursions over the years. Um, Have there been any uh, noteworthy things that were published in A&E first and then went on to be published as full role-playing games or supplements or other things? Hmm. 
Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, let's see. My notes on nitpicking and, and discussing stuff mm -hmm. for CNS supplements later were published in the CNS uh, source book. CNS and Chivalry and Sorcery? Chivalry and Sorcery. Yep, yep. And also, I a number of things. Uh, Steve Jackson Games for some mm -hmm. years, mm -hmm. well, they're still subscribing. Steve right. Jackson Games mm -hmm. for some years data mined uh, people who were contributing to A&E and used to sometimes contact them mm -hmm. and oh. uh, say, we've been following what you've been writing and would you like to write something for us? Oh. Which I thought was very sweet of them and mm -hmm. so did the people they contacted. Well, you did work for Steve Jackson Games as well. You wrote GURPS uh, Japan. I did. And uh, it was a somewhat odd relationship. Oh. I did not get the contract until the day it was finished. Oh. I would write them and mm -hmm. say, um, for your information, I am 60% done. I still haven't gotten your contract. Mm -hmm. And I thought I would reassure you and tell you that you're not going to see word one of what I have written until I get the contract. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have now finished 80% of this game. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to send it to you until I get the contract and so on. Um, I don't know if you ever saw The Familiar, which was edited. I can't remember if his first name was Edmund or Edward, but mm -hmm. by an E. Wilson. It was a wonderful magazine. No. And I wrote an article for him called Golems and Gematria, mm -hmm. a guide to role-playing Jewish characters. Oh, wow. And if you go to the webpage, Alarms and Excursions, you'll find a link to it because I put it up on the webpage. Mm -hmm. um, and writing that was wonderful. I would send it to him and he would write back and say, would you please write me another thousand words more about this <laughs> or mm -hmm. that? And he was paying me, I don't remember, two, three, four cents a word. Oh, that's pretty and good. And so everything more he wanted, I would be getting another $50, or $20 more. And I would say, are you sure? Yes. <laughs> okay. And so eventually we got it finished to our mutual satisfaction. And um, when it finally came out, I got this email Mm -hmm. from a guy, Dear Lee, I work for the Jewish Educational Council of St. Louis, and this is the best introductory article I've ever seen on Judaism. I mm -hmm. am Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, uh, would you please give me permission to print this so I can hand it out to people who come in to our office and ask us, what is Judaism? Oh, wow. And I wow. said, no, uh, no, I'm not going to give you permission to hand out things on 
talking to werewolves and sentient plants <laughs> to people who come in right. and and running off on spaceships to people and and talking to poison ivy plants to people who come in to your office i'm going to write you a special version of this that doesn't have fantasy and science fiction oh mm. and no demons mm. probably a good idea uh, yeah. I, I mean, we've had enough trouble with demons, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, th thanks to the press hysteria about that poor guy oh. uh, and the steam tunnels, remember? Right, yes. Yeah. Oh, God. And I said, I'm going to write you a special version without demons and poison ivy, talking to poison ivy plants, and whether you're allowed to talk to werewolves and, and then eat them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all the things I had put in there for role players, I said, I'm going to write you a special mundane version of this article mm. just for you. Right. <laughs> and I, I did, and I gave it to him. But the original version is up on the web. And uh, if, if you go to the A&D webpage, you can find the original version. The, uh, so there's a great question then. Are werewolves kosher? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's good uh, to know. Bad animals are only kosher if they split the hoof mm -hmm. and chew cod. Oh, uh, there we go. Says so in Leviticus. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, okay. Fish are only kosher if they have fins and scales. Right. I mean, it's a very simple system. Mm. Um. Human beings are not kosher. You may not kill human beings and eat them. Mm. I'm going to tell you that first off. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the other questions were Jews will argue about it. Right. But, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it was a fun article to write. I bet. <laughs> really I bet. fun. Uh, and getting paid for it was even more fun. And the original article had great illustrations in the familiar. I think it was mm. familiar before. Hmm. Anyway. Right. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun writing these articles. Uh, I bet. Oh, God, yes. And there was another one that I wrote for a British fanzine, which I don't remember whether it's up there or not, about role-player, professional role-player. I don't really know what the right term would be. The fact that professional role player games don't want to address homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And we don't write about it. Right. We don't write about it. Uh, White Wolf didn't address it. I would have thought they would have. You would think, yeah. And they didn't. I, I, think, I think they did later on, but I think, again, that was like the early 2000s. When I wrote, I wrote a thing about Gaki for White mm. Wolf, which sort of casually mentioned, if you look at it, you'll notice that my article on the Gaki mm -hmm. makes it look like the character is bisexual without ever using the term. Mm. And did not really say so. And I offered them an article. 
I said, let me lure you into the 21st century <clears throat> and offer you an article on characters with the electronic mastery who can give you characters who can go into computers and la and do laptops and cell phones. And they said no. Hmm. Okay. And why? I still got, I don't know, they didn't want to tell me why, but I've still got that article on my computer. Mm -hmm. But they, I offered them electronic mastery and they didn't want it. Huh. I still think it could have been fun and yeah. I don't know why they were scared of it. Uh, what, what, do you, do you remember what year that was you wrote that? Oh, somewhere in the 80s. Oh, because I was going to say in the, uh, in the 90s, Palladium did a, a game that featured aliens that did that, but that wasn't until like the end of the 90s. I was always a little odd. <laughs> and ahead of the curve. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's interesting you talk about addressing something like homosexuality, because gaming in general, I don't think sexuality has been a, like a, a big component. Other than, you know, some TNA in the artwork. There's always been this in the Norse and the Greek cultures. It was always there as something where, you know, the Greeks mm, was yeah. always a component of Greek culture, was always a component of Norse culture as a way that people would insult each other. Mm -hmm. and nobody wanted to talk about it. Right. That's true. And I, I don't know, people, I I would look at it, I would see it, and if you don't want to talk about it, I can't make you talk about it. Mm -hmm. so right. I, but I would, I would argue that gaming, at least American gaming, and that's where role-playing games developed, right? Yeah reflects American culture, which is super squeamish about sex in general. Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, you just don't, it's something that you just don't talk about in general. So therefore gaming itself doesn't go in that direction, except in a very, very few situations. Actually, um, no, it's not that they don't talk about it. They only want to talk about it as, oh, women are desirable. So we'll, we'll talk about women being desirable. There's that. That's true. And that's it. Yeah, that goes back to that uh that dragon article. Yeah. Yeah. Very and true. as as a woman who might want to talk about occasionally men being desirable. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't something that anyone wanted to mention. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there are a number of all female gaming groups that have that talk about that all the time. It's just that the majority of role-playing gamers are straight men for the most part, or at least they were. I'm not sure if that's still true, but generally that seems to have been true. And therefore, that's you know, that's what they're interested in. I guess. I don't know. When I went to an Origins to publicize Land of the Rising Sun, mm -hmm. um, what I saw was Huxter selling 
T-shirts that said, I am a war game widow. Mm-hmm. Right. Barry was back in our hotel room with a fever. Not mm-hmm. a bad one. Right. About 100.5. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, not bad. Right. And okay. I, gave, I gave him aspirin and said, I got a uh, game to run. I had a demo. Right. And I picked up my briefcase and trotted off to the uh, convention uh, facility. Mm-hmm. And as I entered a, I don't know, a guy of maybe 18 came up to me and said, are you carrying those books for your husband? Oh, I said, God. no, I'm carrying them for myself. I have a demo to run in about an hour and I want to find the room. Mm. And he said, can I carry them for you? I said, well, you don't need to. They're not that heavy, but if you want to, you can carry some of them. Mm-hmm. And I handed him some of them. Mm-hmm. And we went trotting off. I don't remember what the room name was, but we went off and we found it. Mm-hmm. It was a strange little room. Mm-hmm. The uh, ceiling came down to about five and a half feet over the table. Oh, that's and odd. it I said it was strange, so I yeah. put my stuff down there, and I sat down at the table, and I threw my head back, and I said, wah-ha-ha, and the ceiling echoed. You know, wah-ha-ha is what that's uh, pretty good. monsters say in Japan, and they do mm-hmm. tunes, yep. and <laughs> it echoed. And I said, wow. And the guy said, as I put my stuff down and set everything up, he Mm -hmm. said, would your husband mind if I kissed you on the cheek? (laughs) And I said, that's the wrong question. He said, oh, what's the right question? Mm -hmm. I said, the right question is, would you mind? He said, oh, would you mind if I kissed you on the cheek? I said, you may kiss me on the cheek. So he kissed me on the cheek. He turned bright red, and he ran out of the room. (laughs) Isn't that cute? Yes. (laughs) And I thought, well, he might make some girl a good boyfriend someday. At least I've started him out. Knowing the right person to ask. (laughs) (laughs) And I have no idea whatever happened to him. Right. And in about half an hour or so, my players who had signed up for the game, all of whom I knew it turned out, Mm -hmm. showed up. And I said, hi. And I introduced them to their objective, which was to get some grain to a starving village mm-hmm. in spite of the demon who would mm-hmm. say wahaha right, and they all shuddered as it echoed through the room right. and after the second time i said it they said lee you don't have to say that anymore we're all scared already <laughs> right <laughs> it's a great game and right. they said where's barry and i said he's got a fever and they said oh we hope he gets better and i said it's only 100.5 it's all right Mm. And um, it was it was fun. 
by the next day, Barry was well again. That's good. You know. Well, he always uh, made it through. Yeah. I've, you know, I've always felt self-confident about this stuff. I've always been mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I understand that some women get scared of stuff and mm -hmm. I, I have been scared on occasion of certain things, but not of, not of running games and, mm -hmm. and not of, of, of being up in front of a crowd and, right. you yeah. know, not of that kind of stuff. Of singing off key. I've been scared of singing <laughs> off key, which is why I only sing when Barry is singing along with me. I know I can sing off key because I know I do it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the songs I wrote, uh, which may not have made it to Canada, I wrote a song to the tune of Waltzing Matilda called You Bash the Balrog and I'll Climb the Tree. Uh, I have not heard that one. <laughs> ah. You you should be recording these and putting them on YouTube. Um, you'll find the lyrics uh, on the web, and okay. it I'll did see if get I can find them for the show notes. Yeah, and Barry Barry recorded it on a filk tape at some point, mm -hmm. and you know, it's it's an obvious. Once a jolly cleric and a magic using elf and a mighty dwarf with a sword plus three left their native village out to get their share of pelf. You bash the bell wrong and I'll climb the tree. <laughs> you know. That's great. And, you know, and uh, they... Hang on a second. I will go find Barry and get him to help with this one. Hmm? Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> There. This is an interesting interview. Mm. It's okay. He doesn't have to. Oh, I think he does. <laughs> okay. The next verse starts first they met a drive. First they met a a goblin. Okay. You don't need the guitar. Good. Sing. Sing. First they met a goblin with a fire-breathing hound. They, they bashed and they smashed and they scragged him with glee. Afterwards they searched him and a magic potion found. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. You bash the Balrog. You bash the Balrog. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. Afterwards they searched him and a magic potion found. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. Well, Afterwards, they searched him in a magic potion. Old wisdom swordsman picked it up and drank it down. Changed to a wolf immediately. No one could dispel it, so they headed back for town. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. Then a loud voice fell who has slain the goblin king. Round turned our heroes. What did they see? Swooping down upon them was a Balrog on the wing. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. Now, I have to note, you can't see us, that when we sing, you bash the Balrog, 
we point at people in the audience oh. and they point oh. at one another. Okay. Right. <laughs> they ran through, through the forest, forest searching for a place to hide, pursued, pursued by, by the Balrog so fierce to see. Wait, cried the elf mage. I have got a plan. He lied. You bash the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. Once a now, mighty Balrog slew a cleric and an elf. And, and a mighty dwarf who had teeth, teeth plus three skinned them and tanned their hides and kept them on a closet shelf. You fetch the Balrog and I'll climb the tree. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> now that got published in A&D number, I don't remember, 11 or 12 or somewhere in there. Right. Right. So, so that's one of my role playing games songs. How often do you perform that song? Well, not very often, but it's a classic. Right. <laughs> okay. Do you and Barry still perform at conventions or any events? Yeah. Sure. Sure. And and how did you first get involved with folk singing then? Well, as I said, I put a uh, folk song in my first fan scene, which uh, was published in August of 67. And that was, oh, what a beautiful Martian. Oh, what a lovely E.T. I've got an uneasy feeling. She's got a big crush on me. Right. Wow. now, that is not the best one I've written. It's perhaps one of the worst ones I've written. <laughs> All right. But um, What would be your best, then? Well, there are a lot of much better ones. Let's think. I find myself, there are a number of good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, greetings, Professor. It's good to have you back again. I've scanned all of the interviews you gave the press. You will find... Oh, God. I'd have to get the words. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Let's see. There's one about the moon is a harsh mistress, which was the one I just started. Mm -hmm. There's one about... There was, I, t- I rather like writing ones about books, right. other people's books. There's one that I'm rather fond of about Bridge of Birds. If you haven't read Bridge of Birds by Larry Hugert, mm-hmm. I could tell you that Larry Niven says it's a perfect book. Oh, wow. I, I've uh, not read it myself. I'll definitely look it up. Right. Yes. We have kitten. It's uh, apparently, what, 7.15 or something out here? It's about a quarter of seven. Ah, we have guests coming over. I may oh, want to hey. stop relatively soon. Um, no we, problem. I no write problem. some yeah. serious stuff and some funny stuff. I don't know. Um, we could try doing this again some other night as well, some hmm. other Tuesday night as well. But I've written some stuff that people like and applaud and some stuff people think is funny and some pe- right. stuff that that is serious mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i don't know I, and sometimes they applaud 
I, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. And your songs are very creative. Um, okay, since we're going to have to finish up then, Don, did you have any questions you wanted to ask before Lee has to go? Uh, one thing I was wondering, because uh, you've been part of fandom for, for a while. Yep. Have you have you noticed any uh, trends amongst the fans in particular, like any changes or They're any getting older. Or... <laughs> They're getting older. No, Are seriously, def- we're not drawing in younger people as much as we used to. And that's bad. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, why do you think we're not drawing in the younger people? I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I could get, make guesses. I could make wild guesses, but I, I, I really don't know. Some of it is that science fiction has gone mainstream. Mm. And we used to be that people would need to go and search for weird people like mm-hmm. themselves. Mm. And now you don't need that as much because more and more people are watching science fiction on television. Right. You know, and it's more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And it they don't think it's that it need that they need to as much to go and find people like themselves anymore. I don't know. That makes that. sense. Well, uh, as much. Uh it seems to me that finding good science fiction is just as hard as it ever used to be. Maybe more so now with so much of it being self-published through Amazon, uh, Kindle Direct and everything. You, you've got so much science fiction out there that's just going direct to the market and we don't even have the big publishers pushing it or marketing it anymore. Right. The, what I'm looking, the main stuff that I'm finding that suits me these days mm-hmm. is Miller and Lee's Liadin stuff. Leadden books, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of uh, mingled hair Regency romances and uh, and space, and is very strange and peculiar and fun. I used right. to be very fond of Cage Baker, mm-hmm. but she's she died on me. That's a problem. Well, she didn't get my permission, and she <laughs> wanted wanted right. to die, but she died. Uh, and she wrote, uh, she was the one who wrote the company series, starting with the, In the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, uh, again, strange, I like strange books. But she wrote I can strange, tell. Yeah. And uh, she wrote strange and wonderful stuff. Uh, but uh, she wrote a series of, I think it was more than 12 books, but it's over now. Right. And she did at least manage to finish it before she died, which is mm. good. Yes, very good. Mm. The, the, the alternative would be very bad. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I think, really, I think it's the internet that's probably affected fandom. When you could argue even that fandom is actually bigger than it ever was. It's just scattered into a million little pockets over the internet instead of groups of people meeting anymore. Mm, maybe. Uh, I think that uh, Bujold's mm-hmm. uh, books aren't, that they kind of petered out rather than yeah. being finished. Mm-hmm. And I did not like the last two in the, uh, in her uh, original uh, for Patrol and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, series as much as the first dozen or so. Yeah, the and, first ones were great. 
They really yeah. were. And then somehow or other along the line, it just kind of felt like she was pushing herself mm-hmm. and it, it just wasn't as good anymore. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'd agree with you on that one. Hmm. Anyway. Okay. Yes. Okay. This has been wonderful and maybe mm-hmm. we can do it again sometime, but we've Definitely. been talking for almost what an no, hour no. and a half. And, and yeah. we appreciate, we appreciate your time, Lee. Thank you yeah. so much for Thank coming you. on the show. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, okay. Have a good evening and uh, take care of yourself. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. And thanks for coming on the show, Lee. Good night, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember... The to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!